You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Good morning, everyone. I'm, if for those of you who don't know me, I'm John. I'm one of the elders, and we're going to continue in our Hebrews uh, series today. Thanks so much for the worship team and, and for Steve. It, it's incredible how well those songs of the worship team and, and Steve's communion matched up with, with the message today. It's amazing. And I had one of those times last night. I was thinking about the message and um, I was thinking, you know, nothing but the blood of Jesus would be a great song to go with this message. And I turned around to Amy. I said, oh, what songs are you doing tomorrow? And the first thing she said was, we're doing nothing but the blood of Jesus. Uh, it was just one of those times the hairs on your back of your neck sort of pricks up. So there's a, a sense that uh, I think, you know, God's doing something, obviously does something special every Sunday, uh, but there's a particular sense this morning. Uh, so recently we've been going through Hebrews. Um, in Hebrews 4, Steve spoke about Hebrews 4 and talked about a rest and talked about Jesus giving us rest. Hebrews 5 then talked about getting onto solid food, onto solid teaching. Uh, And then two weeks ago, Samal looked at Hebrews 6, and he spoke about being sure of things belonging to salvation. He talked about a full assurance of hope. And he spoke about how God made a promise to Abraham that he would bring a blessing and he'd bring a, a people through Abraham. And God gave an oath that he would do it. So Samal taught through Hebrews 6 that we can be certain this blessing is coming. Because of God's word, his promise and his oath, and secondly, because of the character of God. But we're left at the end of chapter 6 with with a few questions, a few things up in the air. It's a bit like a a Netflix series or a TV series. Each episode always leaves you with some questions, with something you're wondering about. Is so-and-so going to get together? Is is the bad guy going to get discovered? That sort of thing. And Hebrews 6 does the same thing. At the end of chapter 6, we're left with a question, well, how does this blessing relate to our salvation? How on earth is God going to do this? How is it going to play out? And there's even a bit of a teaser dropped at the end, where in Hebrews 6.19, he says, Jesus is going on as our forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So there's a a teaser, there's Jesus, Melchizedek. Is that a clue linking this blessing to our salvation? So um, let's dig into Hebrews 7 and uh, find out. So thanks, Isabella. Hebrews 7, verse 11 onwards. Jesus compared to Melchizedek. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest? to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. 
For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath, by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently, because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the other people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weaknesses as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Thanks, Isabella. That was a long passage and full of words like Melchizedek, so thanks very much. You did, did really well there. Um, so the theme of the series has been Hebrews, Jesus is better than. And unfortunately, if I followed that strictly today, the title would be Jesus is better than a Levitical priest. So I thought that was a little lame. So I thought I'd come up with a, a different title. Um, Hebrews episode 7, A New High Priest. Little reference to Star Wars fans, thank you. Now, we start off, the first verse in this passage um, talks about a Levitical priesthood. So a bit of background will be helpful at the start. When God gave his promises to Abraham, that was part of what's called an Abrahamic covenant. Um, now, a covenant is, a, is an agreement with conditions normally, but when it has to do with God, a covenant is about... Uh, a peaceful restoration of relationship with God. It's about coming back to peace with God and being in right relationship. And that was the Abrahamic covenant. It was a one-way covenant. God said, I am going to do this. 400 years later or so, a secondary covenant came in with Moses called the Mosaic Covenant. And this had to do, had to do with the law, the Ten Commandments, and these people called the Levitical Priests. They were called Levitical priests because the first priest uh, who was appointed was Aaron, Moses' brother, and Aaron was in the tribe of Levi. He was descended from Levi. And after that, each priest had to be descended from Aaron. Uh, so they're all from the house of Levi, and they were called Levitical priests. Now, the Levitical priests and were part of this law and covenant and central to the law and covenant was this tabernacle. Um, the tabernacle had an outer court and it had an inter inner temple. And obviously that was carried around in the desert, but it would later become the temple in Jerusalem. And the readers of Hebrews would have been really familiar with all of this. Now, an important part of this relationship covenant uh, was the temple. There was two sections to the temple. There was an outer part. Uh, and there was an inner part called the Holy of Holies, 
And in the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant was kept there, and that was where the presence of God resided. And there was this thing called the Day of Atonement, where once a year, uh, the high priest had to get dressed up in a spotless white garment. Um, he would sacrifice a bullock for his own sins and the sins of the priests. He would sacrifice a goat for the sins of the people. And there'd be another goat. He'd lay hands on it and confess the sins of Israel onto that goat. And that goat would be let free and would run off into the wild. And that goat would then represent um, the sins of the Israelites being taken away. And apparently that's the origin of the, um, the term scapegoat. Um, so that was part of the system. There was daily sacrifices that happened every day. So this was all part, a central part of the Levitical priest uh, law. Now the priest was a mediator between God and the people. So he was part of this relationship covenant. And the priest and the law system were bound together. So verse 12 starts talking about a change in priesthood, there's going to have to be a change in the law system as well. But the question is, why would there need to be a change? What, what's wrong with that system? Now, the, the writer through this passage lets us know that there's something new coming. Um, in verse 11 he talks about a perfection coming. That word means completeness. It means achieving an end goal. In verse 19 he talks about a better hope and he says through which we draw near to God. So there's something about this perfection doing, having to do with our relationship with God. And then in verse 22 he talks about a better covenant. Um, so again if you were to make a summary about what this perfection is uh, it's a re-established, perfect, whole relationship with God uh, in his kingdom. Um, so that's what's coming, and that is the blessing, or at least a major part of the blessing that was promised through Abraham, a perfectly restored uh, relationship with God in his kingdom. The question then, though, is um, how is this going to happen? Because we would need to be perfectly righteous in a right relationship with God. The writer makes it clear that it's not going to happen through the Levitical priest law system. Uh, he asks the question, if perfection had been able to be achieved with that, why would we need another priest? And he actually goes on to say this system, this law system is, is weak and it's useless. Now, he doesn't mean it's not use, useful for anything. Um, it was a very good pointer to what was to come. And Paul would later write that the law helped him understand that he was a sinner. So it's not useless for everything, but in terms of establishing a perfectly restored re eternal relationship with God, uh, it was powerless. And Paul would point out the same thing in Galatians where he said, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So it was a good, a good summary comment that uh, I read. The Levitical priests and their work pointed forward to the eventual perfection, but they couldn't by themselves bring it into reality. I'll just have a break with a bit of an analogy. We used to live in Southport for a number of years, and we used to like going down to the Southport Surf Club. 
so we were social members. I was extremely busy at work at the time, we had young kids. There was no way I could become a full member of the Southport Surf Club. I couldn't do all the requirements of a bronze medallion and all other things and you had to regularly uh, volunteer for shifts and things. So it was impossible for me through the membership system um, to become a full member and get access to the full Southport Club. But I had a neighbour. Our neighbour was Big John. He was Big John because he used to play second row rugby league for Manly, New South Wales and Australia. And he was a long-term member of the Southport Club. After we'd been neighbours for five years, he finally figured out I wasn't too bad, so he invited me down to join him with the swim group in the Southport Club. So I went down with him, we parked in the special car park, we went through the special door into the, the inner halls of the Southport Club. He showed me the different areas, and then he, think, he took me to what I think for a male would be the holy of holies of the Southport Surf Club, um, and that is the men's change room. So I came up to the men's change rooms and I was just ahead of him. And I, I always remember this, I stepped into the doorway and when I looked in, there was three guys there, about 60 years old, combined membership of about a thousand years. And they all stood and looked around at me and there was a moment frozen in time. And I realised in myself, I had no right to be there. I had no right to step in and be in their presence, so there was this moment frozen in time. I'll get back to that a little bit later. Left you on a cliffhanger. And so like the way that the membership system couldn't get me into that room, um, the Levitical priest system on a greater cosmic scale could not bring us to that eventual perfection. This was no surprise to God. 440 years before the law came in, Abraham was declared righteous through faith. So there was already this apparent way of becoming righteous before God that didn't involve the law system. And then after the law, in Psalm 110 verse 4, this is predicting Jesus, he starts talking about a new priest coming, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Um, so God is already planning that there's a new, a, new, a new person coming and he's going to be like this guy Melchizedek. So we better talk about Melchizedek quickly. Um, he's a mysterious figure. He just appeared briefly in Genesis 14 um, and also Psalm 110 and also in Hebrews 7. There was a story where Abraham had just been out to a battle and he was coming back and he met with Melchizedek. And the story says that Melchizedek was a king and a priest. He was a king of righteousness and peace, and he blessed Abraham. And Abraham gave him tithe. So there's this indication that Melchizedek is higher than Abraham. The writer in Hebrews talks about him not having a father or mother or genealogy and no birth recorded, no death recorded. The mainstream interpretation of that is that it's not actually that Melchizedek didn't have a father or mother or that he didn't die, it's that scripture didn't record it at all, so it's as if he didn't die, it's as if he didn't have a mother and father. But some people would disagree, but that's the general opinion. The point the writer is making that Melchizedek is a way better 
way better priest than the Levitical priests. So he's using a, he's using a literary argument they used to use. He's saying, look, we've got these Levitical priests. We've got this guy Melchizedek who's a much better priest. Jesus is coming. He's going to be more like Melchizedek rather than the Levitical priests. So just an explanation of that, that passage. The thing is, though, the comparison with Melchizedek has to fall away when the writer starts talking about Jesus. So he offers Jesus is going to be a better priest with a better covenant, and he puts forward all these arguments for that. The first thing he says is that Jesus was appointed by an oath of God in that psalm that we just read. We've already seen how strong an oath of God is. And that compares to the Levitical system where the priest was just appointed by descendants. Jesus had a sinless character. He was, lived a perfect life. The Levitical priest was not sinless, so he had to give an offering for himself. Jesus gave an offering of himself. Because he was sinless, Jesus was a perfect sacrificial offering and only one sacrifice was required. Jesus was also powerful as opposed to the Levitical priest who was weak and useless in this way. He was able to save to the uttermost. So that word uttermost means completely and forever. It's a kind of an infinite word. Jesus also lives forever, so his priesthood lasts forever. And we only need one priest as opposed to the Levitical priests who are living and dying. And Jesus also has a current active ministry. He said he's in heaven making intercession for us, praying for us. And his ministry not only is ongoing, but it also extends from earth into the heavens. So for all these things, Jesus is a better priest of a better covenant. There's also another word used for Jesus in this passage. He talks about Jesus the guarantor. Um, guarantor was a, a word not usually used with covenants. It was used with legal stuff. Um, and it basically meant a person was guaranteeing the position of another person. So it might be for a financial transaction. It might be for a, a law thing. But that person in being the guarantor was putting themselves at risk by vouching for the other person. Um, and so Jesus is presented as the ultimate guarantor. Because he lived a perfect life, he could offer a perfect sacrifice. This meant that he was the perfect saviour and it meant he became our perfect high priest and continues to be our perfect high priest. Now back to the surf club story. So there I am, straddled in the doorway. They're looking at me, I'm looking at them. It's really awkward. And Big John comes up, puts his arm around me, and he says, hey guys, this is my mate John. He's my neighbour. He's a good bloke. And at that moment, everything changed. Their expressions changed. They said, g'day John, come in. And immediately, I was part of the family. The idea was, though, it wasn't anything about me that got me into the dressing room, into the Holy of Holies. It was all about Big John next to me. Big John was a long-term member. He'd done the hard yards. 
um, and thank God he was vouching for me. So in the same way, but a million times more, we cannot walk into the presence of God with anything of our own claim or work. Um, it's all because Jesus, it's all because who Jesus is and what he's done. So just looking back over Hebrews 6 and 7, um, we can see the overall plan of God that's been going on uh, for centuries. Um, I always, when I read scripture, the first thing I, I ask is, what does this scripture tell me about God? And to me, Hebrews 6 and 7 tells me that God is a God about relationship. He's been full on about trying to re-establish, well, about re-establishing a perfect loving relationship with us all through the scriptures. We've seen God's promise and oath that he made to Abraham that there, he would bring about a people and he would bring a blessing. And we saw that was certain because of God's word and his character. We've then seen how this blessing has to do with a perfect restored king relationship uh, with God and his kingdom. And now we've seen how it's all played out and it's all played out through Jesus who's become our, who lived a perfect life, became our perfect sacrifice, is our perfect saviour and is our perfect high priest. Now if you look through that list, you can see there's no work for us to do in that list. Um, God has done it all. Jesus said, it's finished. So we don't, have to, we don't have to earn our relationship with God. And to me, this is a big part of rest. We can rest from having to earn our way back to God. So much of life is trying to earn things, trying to work for things. But for our relationship with God, we do not have to work for it. We just have to receive it. And we receive it through faith in Jesus. We receive it by saying, you know what, I'm a sinner. I can't in myself get to God. I need Jesus. And this brings rest. When we receive this, when we understand it with our hearts and minds, then we respond from that. Paul says the love Jesus has for him compels him. Everything Jesus has loved him in all this way gives him inspiration, it gives him motivation to go and live the life he lives. It's a, it's a grace-love-driven life. And so just to wrap it up, if, if this is all news to you, if you've not heard anything like this before, please come to myself or Steve or to another mature Christian to, to talk about it and, and pray about this because... This is all really key stuff. A second practical tip. I reckon at times we all experience the evil one sort of whispering, what are you doing? You're not worthy of this. What are you doing with God? You're not worthy. Whether that's in a whisper or through something someone says, I think it's something most ex Christians experience from time to time. We can answer. If he says we're not worthy, we can answer, Jesus says I am. We can answer, it's not about me, it's about Jesus being a perfect sacrifice and a perfect saviour. 
And if you want to talk about it, Jesus is vouching for me now in heaven. He's forever vouching for us in heaven. And so if I could suggest some homework this week, it's not a law, you don't have to do it, but it may well bless you. Try setting some time aside and just prayerfully reading through this passage. Let it sink in about Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us uh, and then respond. Uh, let me pray and then the band can come up. Father, we thank you for who you are, um, that you're a loving God, that you've pursued us uh, like, like a, a lover wanting his lover back. You've pursued us through history and you've had this wonderful plan all the way through and that it all centres through Jesus. Thank you we don't have to earn our place with you. Thank you you've blessed us being able to come to you through Jesus and through what you've done. Bless us and help us to rest in that. Fill our hearts and minds with wonder about this and, and let it motivate us, inspire us to go out into the world and love people for you and loving you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.